good morning. We are so glad you're here this morning. Um, this is, I know I say this every week, but this is the fullest this building has been in a long time, and that is a good thing. Um, amen. You can clap for that. If you didn't join us this morning, we had a great breakfast this morning. Um, we haven't had anything like that in a long time, and that's a good sign. Um, and uh, you, our, our uh, LTC, uh, that's Leadership Training for Christ Group, uh, they went to that yesterday uh, and uh, competed and did a, a number of things. And you'll hear more about that uh, in, in later days when they do their awards. But they presented their drama up here uh, a little bit before worship. And, and uh, so we had a great morning. And um, we're glad you're here. I want to take, before we jump in this morning, I want to talk about uh, the, the, the series that's coming up. Give a little plug um, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but preachers, we get, we get calls and letters and emails uh, recruiting us uh, other places. You get these letters and they say, oh, let me tell you how great our church is. Our church is so wonderful. Now imagine you get this letter, okay, or, or, or an email, and, and in that email it says, hey, we want you to come and work with our congregation." Because we just really think that we have a lot of great things to offer. Right now, we have, we have three or four or five different groups. And, and each one of those groups is, is identifying with a different leader, uh, whoever baptized them. And, and so we, we sit separately because each one of our groups thinks that they're better than the other. But, but we're proud of that. We're proud of a lot of things. We, we're proud of our open mind. We have such an open mind when it comes to uh, things like marriage, uh, marriage and, and, and remarriage and, and, and divorce and singleness. And, and we just kind of blur those lines and we just do whatever we want to because, because we're a progressive congregation. Um, we, we even support sexual immorality. Um, you can pretty much do whatever you want to, however you want to, because it happens outside the body. And so whatever happens outside the, uh, the body, it, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect us. And, and we are proud of that progressive stance. Um, we're so progressive, in fact, we have an incestuous couple in our church, and, and, and we, we're proud of that. We brag about, about that fact. Our, our worship services are really exciting. Uh, pretty much everybody just does whatever they want to. And uh, if somebody is up speaking, uh, other groups will charge up and push them off stage and take over. Um, and, and we have people who will just break out in song or, or praise or prophecy or whatever in the middle. Of, you, you get the picture, right? This is, this is one of those churches where you'd be kind of like, um, okay, that's, uh, that's great. Uh, let me refer you to, uh, let's forward this to Casey Langford. Um, or uh, I hope he sees this. Um, at, at any rate, the point is that church is Corinth, and the gospel came into that church and, and, and changed that. And we're going to study 1 Corinthians, and that's our new series, because that church is a hot mess, and that's what we're calling this series, a hot mess, the power of the gospel for a dysfunctional church. And, and uh, that's going to start next week, so I hope you'll have uh, an opportunity to come back and, and be a part of that. Um, this week we've been going through a, a series we've called The Gospel According to Moses, and we've been looking at the Passover and how that affects, how that foreshadows 
Jesus. How, how the Last Supper and the Passover kind of inter, intertwine and how, how the, the things that are, are talked about in the Passover and, and in some of the laws of Moses were actually uh, hearkening forward to God's plan for Jesus. We've talked about the apostles' confusion. As, as Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood and how, how the, it must have blown their minds for him to, to take this, this worship, this ritual that they'd done their whole lives and completely change it. And, and it, was, it, was, it was scary. It was different. Um, we talked about last week how in, in Jesus' day the Passover was something that could only happen in Jerusalem. It wasn't like the, the Seder that they have now that would be, uh, it had to happen in Jerusalem because the lamb had to be sacrificed in the temple by a priest. The estimates from Josephus, who is an ancient Jewish historian, is that some two million pilgrims would descend on Jerusalem. And, and of those two million pilgrims, the priest in one day would sacrifice over 200,000 lambs. Now, we can't imagine that. We, we can't get that picture because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't slaughterhouses like we think of it. This was, this was blood flowing freely on the ground in the temple, 200,000 or more lambs. And they had to be done by a priest and it had to be done in a certain way and then it had to be taken home and prepared. The sacrifice was not the completion. The, the, the Passover wasn't complete until they ate the, the lamb and, and ate the, the feast. Um, according to, to ancient rabbinical literature, Jewish rabbinical literature, the Passover meal would begin the evening shortly before nightfall. The, the father of the family would gather his household together at a large table and, and they, would, they would recline and prepare for, for the Passover meal. The meal would actually begin with the pouring and the mixing of the first cup of wine. The the mixing refers to the, they'd mingle a little water with it um, to, to help it go further, to dilute it. As it was mixed, it would then be shared. Now, the, the, the Passover was centered around four cups, four cups of wine. Still, still is, but the, the first cup was called the cup of sanctification. In Hebrew, that would be the, the Kiddush cup. The father would begin the meal by sharing this, this wine and speaking a traditional blessing over it. Something like, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. After this blessing, and he passes out this cup, the food would start to be brought out. And they would lay the food on the table. It would consist of, of a few key dishes, um, specifically several cakes of unleavened bread, some, some bitter herbs, a bowl of sauce known as harasheth, and, and then the roasted Passover lamb itself. The father would take some of the herbs, dip them into the harasheth, and eat them, and everyone else would then follow suit. This began the Passover field, uh, feast. At this time, the second cup would be mixed, but it wouldn't be drunk yet. This cup was known as the cup of proclamation. This was the Haggadah cup in Hebrew. This is when the father would begin to proclaim what the Lord had done for Israel, how he had set them free from slavery in Egypt. Um, the, the, uh, one of the, the Mishnahs, which is the, the Jewish uh, rules and regulation handbook, for lack of a better word, said, Then they mix him, the father, the second cup, and the son asks, Why is this night different from other nights? For on other nights we eat seasoned food, and this night, uh, on other nights we eat leavened and unleavened bread, but this night all is unleavened. On other nights we eat roast, stewed, or cooked, but on this night 
all his roast. And according to the understanding of the Son, the Father instructs him. He begins with disgrace and ends with glory. And he expounds from, a wandering Aramean was my father, until he finishes the whole section. So the father will then begin to tell the story of the nation of Israel. He will begin to tell all the things the Lord has done. This is the cup of proclamation. He will proclaim what the Lord has done. This act of explaining is, is, uh, is the heart of the meal. This was fulfilling God's original command that the Passover be in remembrance. In response, all, these, all the participants were, were, were then bound to give thanks for all the wonderful things that God had done for them. Um, they would sing Psalm 113 to 114, um, which praised the Lord for His goodness and, and thanked Him for saving Israel, and they would partake of the second cup. Then the third cup would be mixed. This was a signal of the beginning of the actual supper. This was the cup of blessing. Um, while specific customs varied at this point, generally, uh, there was a blessing spoken over the food. Then a morsel would be dipped in a dish and, and eaten. And, and then they would eat the main meal. Um, this cup was known as the cup of blessing, the Barakah cup in Hebrew. And when the cup was drunk, the, the third stage of the Passover was complete. So they would finish all the food. Then they would drink the cup of blessing. This concluding rite, the, then, then they would go into the conclusion of the Passover. The concluding rites were, like most conclusions, a little bit concise, a little bit. Uh, the remaining portion of the Hallel Psalm, Psalm 115 to 118, would be sung. Um, and, and this may not mean much to those of us who aren't familiar with those, but now back to the Last Supper. Remember, they get to this point, and, and most of the Gospels tell us they sang a hymn. This was probably somewhere Psalm 115 to 118. Imagine Jesus on this night singing these words. Psalm 118, 5. Out of my distress I called to the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. And then verse 17. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. After singing the Psalms, the, the fourth cup of the Passover would be drunk. According to the Mishnah, it was forbidden to drink any wine uh, before the fourth cup. The fourth cup is the cup of praise, the Hallel cup. And when it was drunk, the Passover meal was complete. Now, I say all that to say, go to Luke 22. If you have your Bibles this morning, go to Luke 22. Because we're going to look at this this morning because Jesus doesn't finish Passover. Jesus doesn't finish the Passover meal. There's got to be a reason for this. It's significant somehow. Luke chapter 22, we're going to start with verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and the apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until I find fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, we already see there are two cups here, right? One over which Jesus gives thanks. And, and one which he identifies as the, the covenant of his blood. But which of the four Passover cups are those? 
We know that there's four Passover cups. We know that there's two mentioned here. I think Luke gives us some clues. Verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. So that can only refer to the third cup, which would be drank after they actually eat the supper, the cup of blessing. And so if, if that, I think, is confirmed later in Paul's letter to the Corinthians where he says the cup of blessing which we bless, Paul is using that rabbinical language. So if this third cup, if, if this is the third cup, then the other cup is most likely the second cup, the cup of proclamation. Notice after Jesus drinks that cup, he, he talks about the unleavened bread and what it symbolizes. He is making the proclamation much as a Jewish father would. All that is normal. But then Jesus takes the, the crazy talk about the body and the blood and, and makes it even more confusing. In, in both Matthew and Mark, Jesus says he won't drink again of the fruit of the vine until that coming of the kingdom of God. Now, this is a problem. As any first century Jew would know, there was still another cup to drink. When Jesus says, I won't drink of any wine, I won't drink of any fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes, every mind in there would go, but, but wait, there's still another cup to be drunk in the Passover. How can you say that? Then what happens? They sing a hymn. Most probably Psalm 115 to 118, traditionally sung at that point in the Passover meal. But notice something. Neither Matthew nor Mark say that there's another cup. Instead, they say that they sang a hymn and the disciples went out of the upper room and to the Mount of Olives. So here's our problem. Jesus clearly refers to the fourth cup of Passover, yet refused to drink it. If we view the Lord's Supper through Jewish eyes, if we view the Last Supper through Jewish eyes, Jesus did not finish the Passover meal. Now that's a big deal. Not, not only did he alter the meal by talking about his body and his blood, but he seems to deliberately leave it incomplete. He seemed to deliberately not finish it. It's not over though. If you follow him into Gethsemane, then we hear his plea. His plea to the Father begins to give us a picture that maybe he knows what he's doing here. Uh, Matthew 26, we're going to start at verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. In the garden, we see Jesus praying. We see Jesus pleading. We see Jesus... Uh, embracing and, and looking straight on into his coming death, into his sacrifice. And what does he call it? He calls it a cup, for this cup to be taken from him. Now, admittedly, 
we use that some nowadays because of our uh, Western history with the Bible. But that was a strange metaphor to use for a death. Why would he call his death drinking a cup? It's still Passover night now. And technically, Jesus' Passover is not yet complete. He's identified his body as the sacrifice, as the, new, the, the sacrifice of the new Passover, the new Passover lamb. He has also identified the cup as his blood, the blood of the covenant. Jesus identifies himself as the ultimate Passover lamb. And he's, as his praying in the garden is clear, he, he, he is, he, by the time this Passover is complete, he knows he's going to be dead. That's what happens to Passover lambs. They don't make it out of Passover alive. We know he didn't drink wine on the way to the cross because the Gospels make a point of pointing that out to us. It's a Jewish custom to offer wine to, to criminals on their way to be murdered or, or killed or, or executed because it would dull the senses. It was a mercy. And so they would always offer wine. It, it, it was a, a Matthew makes it clear, though, that when Jesus is offered wine, he deliberately refuses it. He's beaten and battered, and he refuses it. Mark says the same thing. They offered him wine mingled with myrrh, but he did not take it. So Jesus doesn't take any wine at all, all the way to the cross. He has left the Passover incomplete. He has not drank the fourth cup. And now as he goes to the cross, he goes to Gethsemane and he begs the Father, don't make me drink this cup. But if I have to, I will. And he goes to the cross. And on his way to the cross, they offer him wine, and he says, no, I will not take it. As he's beaten and, and battered, they offer him wine, but he will not take it. And he takes no wine until he chooses. John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. He's refused every cup they've offered him, and now on the cross, he asks. Verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When Jesus is ready, he not only accepts the wine, he requests it. When he says it's finished, he's not merely referring to his life or to his mission. He didn't say it until his request for a drink was fulfilled. He didn't say it until he had received the wine. Now, what does that mean? It means that Jesus did, in fact, drink the fourth cup, the fourth cup of the Passover. He didn't do it in the upper room. He did it on the cross. He did it at the exact moment of his death. Now, this is more than just Bible trivia. This is more than just minutia that we've never talked about. This is vitally important. Jesus deliberately waits to drink the fourth cup of the Passover until the very moment of his death. And by doing that, Jesus unites the Last Supper to the cross. By refusing to drink the wine until he gave up his final breath, he joined the offering of himself under the form of bread and wine to the offering of himself at Calvary. By means of the Last Supper, 
Jesus transforms the cross into a new Passover. And by means of the cross, he transforms that last supper into a sacrifice. That means that the bread and wine that we now partake of are forever linked to the bread and wine of the Passover. The bread and wine that you and I as Christians take is not just a memorial service. It's not a funeral. It it is part of a bigger picture. It is the new messianic Passover. The new Passover of the Messiah, which brings a fulfillment to the Passover of Moses. This morning, we're going to take that bread and that wine together. You should have a, a... packet on your pew or your seat if you didn't get one if you'll wave somebody will will bring you one of those but we're going to take that together right now because Moses Passover was a remembrance of the great things that God had done for Israel Jesus takes that Passover and deliberately leaves it open until he gets to the cross, until the moment of his death, and then he drinks that fourth cup and encapsulates his death as part of that Passover meal so that they are forever indelibly linked. And now he is not merely figuratively a new Passover lamb. He is the new Passover lamb. He is the new Passover lamb which remembers and celebrates what God has done, not just for Israel, but for mankind. So now when we drink this bread, when we drink this cup, and when we break this bread, Paul says we proclaim his death. This is a cup of proclamation. When we take this bread and drink this cup, we are celebrating the blessing of God, just as they would have in Passover. And and we are thanking God for the beauty of what he's done. The bread and wine of our communion unites the Passover and the Lord's Supper forever into one single sacrifice. Jesus unites the offering of his body and blood in the upper room to the offering of his body and blood on the cross. This morning, we're going to take that together right now after this prayer. Remembering, celebrating, honoring, that Passover sacrifice. Will you bow with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we praise your name. We lift you up. We glorify you. As we look at your scriptures and we see your amazing plan of salvation, how from Moses all the way through to Jesus, you've had a plan for redeeming not just Israel, but all mankind. We're blessed, Lord, and we're thankful that we are included in that family of God. We are so thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, which washes away our sins, unites us into the family of God, and gives us a promise of eternal life. Lord, as we partake this bread and drink this cup, let us do so in a manner pleasing in your sight, in a manner that honors that sacrifice and remembers the glory of what you've done for each and every one of us. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
I got green lights. Traditionally, this is the time when we give back a portion of what we've been blessed with. Not because God needs our money, but because we live in a society where money is what we work for. Money is what we do what we do for. And so we turn around and offer that back to God to say that we acknowledge everything that we have comes from Him. Uh, we're not going to pass a plate this morning because of uh, reasons, but if, uh, if you want to make that offering, there are baskets on your way out. Um, you can do that online. Uh, there's opportunities at, at hcoc.church. Um, you can find a way to do that. Um, we will be happy to accept that. But the story doesn't end on the, it doesn't end there. If the story ended at the cross, this would be a tragedy. This would be a sad tale. This would be something that, that, that a dirge to be sung. But the story doesn't end there. That's the beauty of what we celebrate. Not just today, but every Lord's Day. This is the beauty of what we celebrate as often as we take this bread and drink this cup. After Jesus' resurrection, we see him meeting two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24. If you want to turn over there, Luke chapter 24. He, he, he meets up with these two guys on the road. And, and it's not that they didn't recognize him. The Bible says that, that they were kept from recognizing him. And, and they're walking along and they're talking. We'll pick it up in verse 17. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. But now that hope is gone. Extinguished. He's not the Messiah. He's merely a prophet, powerful in word and deed. And their doubt and their struggle is confessed. What does Jesus do with their doubt? He takes them back to the Jewish scriptures, just like what we've done. And beginning with Moses, going through the prophets, he teaches them this gospel of Moses. He shows them how everything from Moses through the prophets has been leading to him. And then he reveals himself to them. Not through majesty, not through miracles, signs, and wonders, not through any way that you or I would choose or imagine. He shows them who he is, the Bible says, through breaking bread. That still happens today. He reveals himself to us, the risen Lord, through the breaking of bread. See, the, the story of the resurrection is a story of bread and wine. It's a story of the bread of the presence. It's a story of, of broken bread that, that reveals to us the resurrected Savior. When the disciples beg Him here in Luke to stay with us, what does He give them? He gives them broken bread. The same is true of us. As we beg Him, Lord, be with us, what does He give us? He gives us broken bread. In the breaking of the bread, He reveals Himself to us and promises 
that he is always with us even unto the end of the age. Not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday that we break this bread, every Sunday that we drink this cup, every time that we commune with him in this Lord's Supper, we are connected not just to the Gospel of Moses, but to the Messianic Passover, to the ultimate Passover of God, that God has redeemed all mankind through the body of the Lamb. This morning, that's the call. It's always the call to be part of that. You're freely invited to be a part of the body of of Jesus Christ. You are freely invited to come and be part of the people of God. No longer are we separated by nationalities or, or, or any of that kind of stuff. We have a pathway to God through Jesus Christ and that pathway is open if we come to Him. This morning we're going to sing a song. We're going to invite you to come back to Jesus. If you, if you are living in that place like these disciples of unbelief, if you're living in that place of doubt and, and you admit, man, I'm struggling with this, you know what? He's going to do the same thing he did with those. He, he doesn't tell them, get out of my sight. He says, let me show you what this has always been about. Let me show you the beautiful plan of God to make you his child forever. This morning, that's the call. We're going to sing a song. We invite you to come to respond to that. If you're watching at home online, send us a message. Send us a Facebook message. Send us an email message. We would love to correspond with you and to help you find a way to come to Jesus. However you need to do that, this morning, that's the call. Come to him. Let him reveal himself once again the resurrected Lord, through His body, through His blood. Come now, while together we stand and sing.